You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. It's a little, uh, little hazy outside, a little cool, but summer is coming. That's what they keep telling us, summer's coming. Hey, listen, I want to I take a little time this morning, and I want, to, uh, I want to invite you in to something that I think is just critical for the days, the times that we live in, the things that we're a part of. Um, it really has to do with our nation and where our nation is right now. It just seems like so many things are disheveled, and there's something deeply, deeply broken in the hearts of our people and the hearts of this nation uh, what we've been e- witnessing this last week. I-, I think that one of the things that we-, we need to do is we really need to be able to pray and ask God, how can we be those instruments of reconciliation, peace, grace, confronting all injustice? Because that's what the Bible asks us to do. And to pray for covering, especially over our law enforcement officers, our fire department. We want God to cover them. And I think the big thing for me is not only asking, Lord, how do I pray, but how do I participate? How do I become part of a solution? And that's what we want to encourage you to do. In fact, September 10th, uh, we're holding our annual taco feed. We're doing it a bit different this year, and we're doing it in a way that reaches out to the community. What we're doing is we're changing that traditional way we've done it. We're bringing a community focus to the event. Uh, we're having medical and social services that will be here while still keeping our, uh, our family-friendly atmosphere. The mariachis are going to be here. We're going to be serving tacos. We're going to be having a great time. But we're partnering with other churches and local organizations. And what we would do is we would love to invite you to be part of a solution. And where do we start? We start in our own hearts. We start in our own, our own backyard. And so a week from today, that's July 17th, that's next Sunday at 2.30, we're going to meet in the youth building. And we're going to talk about how do we participate? What are the things that we can be involved in in our community to really reach out, to bring peace, to bring reconciliation, to bring the love of Jesus? Uh, Joyce Struby has done a great job putting all this together. She has been meeting with, we have been meeting with the, the fire chief, the police chief, business leaders in our community. And I'm going to take some time next Sunday when we meet together. I want to take about a few minutes, 10 minutes probably around there to just pray over our fire chief pray over our police chief to take time and pray over our community it's important that we do this today do you would you agree and uh, i think it's something that god is calling us to do something that we can engage in and be part of so i want to invite you to be part of that i know god is up to a good work right now and and it's hard to see that but i know that whenever this unrest happens there's something that he wants to accomplish there's something he wants to do and it's only by his spirit that it'll be done so let's pray let's pray right now father we just ask in jesus name that you would just cover our nation that you would cover our communities, Lord, where there is injustice. We ask that you help us be the instruments of resolution, that we can help resolve those things that are going on around us. Lord, we pray over our law enforcement officers. We pray over our, our, our city workers, our, our county, our federal. Lord, we pray over our country right now during this time of unrest. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would break through 
that what would rise up would be hope in you, that we would see that that is the answer. We have been called to be ministers of reconciliation because you have reconciled us to the Father through Jesus Christ. Let us do that in the way that you've called us. Let us express our gifts well and serve you well. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Amen. Do this with me. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's Romans chapter 8. We're continuing a a study in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 27 because we're in a series titled In It to Win It. Now what I'm doing is I'm saving verse 28, which is a great verse. It's one of my favorite verses for next week. I mean, that that verse deserves a whole service. It it, it deserves a whole message in verse 28. I love this chapter, and the reason I do is because the Apostle Paul reminds me of some great coaches that I've had in my life. When I read Romans chapter 8, I, I, I feel like I'm being talked to by this incredible, amazing coach. And that's what he's doing. He's walking us through what it means to be in it to win it. And what we're talking about is being in it to win it in the name of Jesus, in Christ Jesus. He is not He's not designed us to be losers. He's not designed us to take the uh, to be bottom feeders. <laughs> he's designed us to be those that overcome. And that's what we talk about here. We talk about overcoming. Would you agree that the great coaches are not just about winning at a game, but the great coaches that I've experienced in my life talk about winning at life, about how do you overcome obstacles in life? The great Vince Lombardi said, winning is not everything, but wanting to win is. I mean, it is something that God can create in us, a desire to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors. He said, Vince Lombardi said this, when is, uh, winning is not a sometime thing, it is an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while, you do the right thing once in a while. Winning is a habit, winning is a lifestyle. And he said this, unfortunately, so is losing. And what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8 is really about winning. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul is coaching us to win at life through Jesus Christ. And so far, he's spoken to us about overcoming guilt. We talked about that the first message. And then last week, we talked about overcoming failure. Today, it's about freedom from discouragement. So here's the question I want to ask. I want to ask you this question. I want you to feel something this morning before we look at Romans chapter 8. Have you felt that horrible feeling of losing something you knew you couldn't afford to lose? I think most of us probably in this room have experienced that. That we've gone through a season of loss. We looked at what we've lost and we thought, I can't afford to lose that. That's a difficult thing. Loss is a very difficult thing. I remember my sophomore year in college, I was in a class that, that I really felt like a fish out of water. I wasn't really that good of a student, but this was one class that, that I, was, I was striving to win. I wanted to do the best I could. And the instructor, her name was Dr. Dorothy Jean Furlong. And man, she just would get under my skin. I mean, she was one of those people that just get under my skin and just challenge you. And she would pay attention to so many details and she would want you to pay attention to these details. In fact, several years later, I ran into her while I was on staff at Portland Foursquare Church. She walked into the room. She saw me. You know what she said? She said, Ronnie, you made it. You made it. You're actually making something out of your life. 
But I used to come into the class, and I know what she was talking about, because I'd come into the class with my buddies. It looks like we were folded up and slept in a drawer all night. You know, we'd come in late. We wouldn't be on time. But she put this project out there that was a huge challenge. And I went after this project with all the gusto in the world. I wanted to succeed. I wanted to be in it to win it. I took care of all the details. I actually went in and talked to her and asked her more questions about how to do this right so that I could get an A in the class. I did all the work. It came time for the morning to turn it in. I went to find it, and I couldn't find the project. I didn't know where it was. I, I, couldn't, I didn't remember if I'd left it in the library. I only had about an hour to get to class, and I just went panicked. I went ballistic. I said, no, this can't be. This cannot be happening. I worked so hard at this. I need to find this project. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I lost it. And I was just devastated. I worked so hard, but I lost it. So I went in, and I sat down, and I said, listen, I, I can't find my my project. I'm sure she's thinking, yeah, I'm sure the dog ate it or, you know, someone else took it or you. No, I said, I really can't. I can't, I can't find this project. I worked so hard on it. She knew I did. And she said, you know, you have one of three choices. You can take an incomplete. Uh, won't count against you. You just have to take the class again. She said, you can just take a C. I'll give you a C in the class based on the work that you've already done. Or she said, you have five days to get the project done. You'd have to redo it. You have to do it all over again. Man, I just, uh, I just was sitting there listening to this. You want to know what I did? I'll tell you at the end of the message, okay? Is that, is that all right? I'll tell you at the end of the message. Because what happened was I felt this incredible incredible loss. And I know that people have dealt with loss. I've dealt with loss in my life. You have as well. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 27. And here's what's going on. Paul is giving them this perspective. Beginning at verse 18. I'll just read that to you. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. What's Paul getting at? What's he talking about when he says present sufferings? What Paul says here is he says, don't focus on what's happening now because something is coming that's so much better than what you're going through now. There is a promise of something better. There's a promise of something greater, and it's in Christ Jesus. And what we have a tendency to do, I know I do, is I focus on the moment. I get so absorbed in my present suffering that I can't even lift my head and look up to see what God has promised us, that God has given us so much more. So here's what the early church went through, and I think the early church has, when you look at the early church, gone through much more than probably what we've ever gone through. I mean, when I think about the loss of the early church, what were the things that they lost? What were the things that they experienced? Number one, they lost or, or they gave up a marketplace access. Uh, that they were marked, that they, that they couldn't really do trade in community, that many of their businesses were confiscated, they lost their livelihood. The Christians of that day, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't stay in the marketplace. They were run out of the marketplace. Imagine that. Imagine yourself being in a business that might be thriving, and then all of a sudden it's gone because of your faith, because of your belief in Jesus Christ. The other thing that they lost is they, they lost access to the synagogues, to the temples. Some of you might say, well, they were Christians. They didn't need access to the synagogue and temple. Everything had changed. No, that was the place of community life. 
That was the place they still went. They spent time together, getting to know each other, being in community. In fact, if you read the, uh, the stories, the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, where did he go first when he went into any community, any city? He went to the synagogue. Why? Because that's where there was debate. There was political issues discussed there. It was kind of the lifeline of Jewish community. Well, the Christians, the early church Christians, had lost access. They were kicked out of the synagogues. They were kicked out of the community. And the third thing they lost, probably the most devastating, is they, they lost personal security and safety. That uh, their lives were in danger. If you stood up in a community, if you were known as a Christian or a believer, then what you were uh, subject to at that time is you could be chased out of town. You could be brutalized. You could be tormented. You could lose your life because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So what can happen when, when you go through this loss? So what is the cycle of loss in our life? So here's how it works. Uh, when something is taken from you, it, it creates loss. And that loss can lead to suffering. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Suffering can lead to discouragement. And if discouragement goes unchecked, it goes to despair. So you might be in one of these areas right now. You might be dealing with something right now. Some of you in this room have experienced loss. You've experienced suffering, discouragement, and despair. So what does Paul have to say about handling this loss? Let's look at Romans 18 through 27. Romans 8, 18 through 27. And listen to what it says. I read 18 already. I want to read it again. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration. Why? Because of sin. Because of brokenness. That's what Paul says here. Not by its own choice. It was a choice by uh, uh, the first man and first woman. And that we were subject to it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for an adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So that's the ultimate redemption. When Christ comes, when heaven is placed on earth, it's the second coming of Jesus. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Man, that's something we want to unpack there. Because what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about how do you deal with that loss? How do you deal with loss that leads to suffering, that leads to discouragement, that leads to despair? I think sometimes our discouragement comes from trivial things in life, doesn't it? I mean, I dropped my iPad on my iPad and broke my iPad. You know, I mean, I'm really discouraged today. Um, I, the, my, my, car, my car broke down in, in, in a parking lot. And I, just, I AAA, did, hey, they took 20 minutes to get there. How dare they do that? 
took a long time. Those are things that oftentimes bring discouragement in our lives. We don't have the same problems at the early church, but we do deal with discouragement. If we really knew, look, can I say this? If we really knew the profound discouragement that others go through, I think we would just be kind, a lot kinder to people. Because there, there are people here that are going through incredible discouragement. There are people here that have walked through suffering. And I think there are people, you know, in our communities that we spend time with. And if we just only knew the profound discouragement that people, that people deal with, how much kinder we would be. I think when you walk out of these doors, if you would just think about that. Think about what it means to be kind and, and how healing that is with people that especially are going through discouragement. Discouragement that comes from loss is a powerful influence in our lives, in our relationships. There are things that have happened to us 10 and 15 and 20 years ago where we're still scarred, we're still wounded. I said this last week, we, we look at uh, challenges in life and we, 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 we were hurt 10 or 15 years previously and we say, you know, I'm never going to do that again. That's how hurt we are. That's how devastating things can be in our life. Discouragement in the loss of relationship, the loss of a job, the loss of direction, the loss of happiness, the loss of loved ones. People that have lost those that they're dear to. That just affects our life. It can bring that kind of discouragement. And you're in that cycle, and you might be in that cycle of loss and suffering and discouragement and despair, and you you don't know how to stop it. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this wonderful passage in chapter 8, and he deals with that whole idea of discouragement. He was writing to the early church, but it applies to us today. It applies to our life right now. So here's my encouragement to you. You can break the cycle. If you're going through that cycle right now, it can be broken. You can move forward if you get what Paul is saying here. If you get a hold of what the Scripture is saying, inspired by God's Holy Spirit. What is it that the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to you today? What's he saying to you today? Give him access to your heart because he really has a lot to say to us, especially when it comes to suffering and loss and discouragement and despair. He has a lot to say to us. What is it that we need to know to overcome discouragement? Well, there are three thoughts that come to my mind when I read Romans chapter 8 and the verses that we've just read, and it has to do with there's something greater, there's something better. I mentioned that earlier. What Paul is saying is what you're dealing with right now isn't where you're going to stay. You're not going to live right here in this season of discouragement and loss. There is something better for you. I don't know if you've ever done this to your kids. I, we've done it to our kids, and we've, we've done it to our grandkids. It's kind of tricking them a little bit, and I guess that's okay every now and again. But, but uh, you know what we've told them? We said, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to get in the car, and we're, we're headed to school. And you guys got some tests today, and you're going to face some bullies today, and that's going to be the life at school. That's kind of the way life is sometimes. We get in the car, and we start headed down the highway, and you know where we're actually going? We did this. We, uh, we were headed to the airport because we told them on the way that instead of going to school, we were going to Disneyland. I mean, you know what? Their reactions, their reactions were, are you kidding? There was such relief. You mean I don't have to face a test today? You mean I don't have to face that bully today? You mean I don't have to face what's at school today? I get to go to Disneyland? Yahoo! Man, that is huge. We did it to our grandkids. You can see it on YouTube. It's so fun to watch kids who think that they're going somewhere that's going to be hard, and they end up going to Disneyland. 
The Apostle Paul is saying this to us. He's saying, you know what? You're in a very hard place, but this isn't where you're going to stay. You get to go ultimately to the happiest place in the universe. You get to go. Your destination is heaven. Listen, we're in a world full of bullies. We're in a world full of math tests and dentist office right now. But, but you have a future and a destination that is the happiest place ever. This is how you overcome discouragement. It's not denying your past. It's not ignoring what you're going through right now. Because sometimes that's the rap that Christians can get and church people can get. They say, well, you're just in denial. You're just living in the clouds. No, I don't want to live in denial. I don't want to ignore what I'm facing. In fact, what I get by following Jesus is I get the strength to go through those things that are difficult. Not in denial, but in the truth, the reality of God's Holy Spirit. And knowing doing that, I can be more than an overcomer. I can be more than a conqueror in Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about overcoming. It's about a God who brings you in and he says, By the way, I have a surprise for you. By the way, I have something good for you. You have a future, and it's not about this world. It's not in this world. It's not of this world. It's about the world of of the Spirit. It's about what Jesus has in store for us in the future. So there are three thoughts that I want to talk to you about just for a moment. Here's what you need to know. Number one, accept the hope of a new future. That's where it all starts. I think sometimes when we go downhill, I know when I do, when I go downhill uh, emotionally, mentally, I forget that I have a new future in Jesus Christ. I forget that I have the strength of God's Holy Spirit in the present. Is Jesus saying to us, is he saying to you, listen, be encouraged. I've heard those words over and over this last week. I've heard the voice of God's Spirit say, be encouraged. You're not subject to this world forever. That's what he says in verses 19 through 21. It says this, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into, and I love these words, brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. So underline that word freedom, just from if you can do it. Underline it or circle the word freedom. Freedom from what? It's freedom from failure. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from brokenness. It's freedom from everything that subjects us to frustration. And God is saying here, you can be free. God's word is saying that you can walk in freedom. The other word here is glory. And sometimes that's a word that, that, that's hard to comprehend. It's hard to get your head around. What does it mean? It means you finally become what God always intended for you to become. That is what he's saying here. The end result is you are going to be what God has wanted you always to be. That it's going to happen when Jesus comes. And that we spend time with him. You're going to be what he's always wanted you to be. Your purpose will finally be complete. We're in a journey right now, aren't we? And that journey can be a struggle. It can be full of setbacks, heartaches, suffering, loss. All of those kinds of things. But Paul is saying here, listen, the ultimate destination is you're going to be. The glory is going to be. You are going to be what God has always wanted you to be. By my works? No. It never happens that way. It's because of what Jesus has done and the price that he's paid. See, we get to be, we get to be people of purpose. We get to be people 
of destiny because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. He paid a price so that we can live the life that we're living. So you can accept, if you believe in Jesus Christ, there is this new hope of a new future. And that you can embrace that and say, Lord, I, I have a new, new hope. I have a new future in you. Because I tell you what, if you're putting your hope and your future and what you're seeing going on around you right now, whatever it is, at whatever level, I think we're in trouble. What we need to be able to do is say, Lord, I'm right here right now. And I want to live the life that you've called me to live because I know this, there's a new future for me. And that's what inspires me today is that new future and that new hope that he has for me. Here's the second thought, and that's this. Experience the hope of belonging. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. It's not just about where you are going, but it's who you're going with and the family of God that has been brought together. We're doing this together. Those that are in Christ Jesus are doing this together. You're doing it in this community. We're part of a community that's in, in, uh, in Uganda We're part of a community in Kenya. We're part of a community in Albania. We're part of a community in this nation. We're part of a community. God's people, the church, are part of a community. We are connected through the blood of Jesus Christ. That it's bigger, that it's greater than we are. And that's what Paul is saying. This is huge. This is huge. Listen to verses 22 through 25. It says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. That's a tough word sometimes. That's a hard word, isn't it, patiently? I don't want to be patient. I want to get what I want right now. But it says here, we wait patiently to see what God is going to bring about. Look at the word adoption for a moment. And I love this because it has a deeper meaning in the original language. The deeper meaning is that you were taken in by a father brought into a family, and had equal rights in that family. In fact, you became an heir of everyone else. Whatever that family was, whatever that father had, you were an heir. You had right to it. You had access to all of it as you were adopted into this. Wow. And that's what it says here. You all have been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the first fruits. That's Jesus. He's brought us in. We could come in with him. And now we're heirs to everything that God provides, everything that God has. This is, this is big stuff. I don't know how many of you have ever, and I know there's some of you that have gone through this, where you've gone through that, that adoption process. I have some friends that, um, that for years tried to have their, their own biological children, and they just, it never happened. They, they just, you know, they, it just never happened. And they would just go through these times where you could just tell they were so, they were so frustrated. You know, they wanted to have kids like everyone else. They wanted to have a family. In fact, they wanted to have a big family. And you know what they ended up doing? They just ended up adopting. And that process of adoption, uh, that's, that's tough when you go through that process. But I just remember them eagerly waiting and the patience it took. They adopted several kids, and, and now they're just they're, they're, they're blessed. 
But that process of bringing someone into that family and how much mom and dad looked forward to that, how much they, they wanted to see that happen, how much they waited for that. This is what the Bible says for us, that we can wait patiently. I think the, the best way to describe what it means to belong is the feeling you have when you don't belong. Because most of the time, I think we take for granted that we belong. I, I think we just, we just have maybe have that sense that we belong. I think the way to contrast that is, what does it feel like when you don't belong? Just think back in, in maybe your upbringing where you didn't belong. Maybe you were in a community where you didn't feel like you belong. Maybe you were in a family where you didn't feel like you belong. And how difficult that is. How hard that is. And I think people who know what it's like not to belong so appreciate what it is to belong. Um, about three or four years ago, it was during the summertime, and I was sitting in my backyard, and I got a, I got a, a call from Kaiser Hospital. And uh, a nurse was on the other end, and, and she said to me, she said, there's someone here that wants to see you. And uh, she mentioned the name, and the name uh, immediately did not necessarily ring a bell. I mean, it sounded somewhat familiar, but, but, but I couldn't really put a face with the name. And this nurse said, well, she, she hasn't been around for about 10 or 15 years. She hasn't been around your church community for that, but she wants to see you. So I just jumped in my car, and I prayed, and, and uh, as, as I was headed to the hospital, I, rem- I actually remembered who it was. And, um, and I walked into this room, and she was on her deathbed. And, um, and I stood next to her, and I held her hand. And I said, your family's not here, are they? And she said, no. Her family was just dispersed, and there was a lot of dysfunction, and they weren't there. And I could see the torment in her eyes. I, I tell you, I've never seen anyone's eyes like this full of of fear, frantic, anxious. She couldn't talk because she had a tube in her uh, her throat. And I just asked the question. I said, are you afraid to die alone, not belonging? Tears just rolled out of her eyes and she just shook her head. The desperation of what that must feel like. I just sat there and I held her hand and I looked at her and I said, you will not die alone. You will not die alone. And so we ran shifts from this church just to sit with her and she died holding someone else's hand. But that moment was so poignant for me because I think that's the way a lot of people feel today. They feel like they're, they're separated. I feel, uh, they feel like they're, they're, they're isolated from that hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. And guess what? We have that hope, and we can share that hope with others. Did you know that it's God and the family of God that he's brought together that satisfies our deepest sense of belonging? That that's what this is all about. It satisfies our deep sense of belonging today. That when you belong to him, you experience true and eternal hope. Uh, everything else is temporary. Everything else that you can touch or get a hold of, it will go away. The Bible says that does leave us, that vanishes. Now, here's something else. What would happen if we started loving and including the way that God has loved and included us? What would happen? 
What would change in our society? What would change in our community, especially the time what we live right now, that you know you've been included, you know that you belong to God? What would happen if you would live life including others and loving others around you? What would change? I think a lot would change. I think a lot would change. That's what we've been called to do. You are included. You have a family, both here and in heaven. It's amazing. You know, in the fall, I've just really felt pressed to do this. In the fall, um, we're going to do a, a series just on, on family relationships. We're going to talk about what it is to live a single life. We're going to talk about what it is to live a married life. We're going to talk about what it is to raise kids. We need to talk about these things. And I haven't done it in a while, but going into the fall, we're going to hit this. We're going to talk about what this looks like because it really has something to do with something deeper. It has to do with what it means to be connected. It has to do with what it means to belong. And where we have that is in the family of God. And here's the last thought to overcome discouragement. The last thought is real simple. Just talk to God. You know, that's what the Apostle Paul shows us here. How do you overcome discouragement? You talk to God. You know, we, we have been given access to our creator. We've been invited into a relationship with him. He has invited us into a relationship with him, and we should talk to him. You need to have conversation with him. And I know sometimes that, that can feel awkward. It, it does. I mean, sometimes, you know, what, what do I say when I pray? I've had people ask me that. And I, yeah, I get it. Because it can feel awkward. It just feels like, I don't know what to say. Do I, do I talk King James language? What kind of language does God understand? You know, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I think some of the best prayers you can have are short prayers, really short prayers. Mine has one word in it. It's usually help, you know. God, I, I just need help. I'm talking to you right now. I just need your help. But I think sometimes talking to God can be as awkward as is talking to your teenager. I mean, have you ever experienced that before? I mean, before, you know, there's something that happens. They, they get to a certain age, and they used to talk all the time, and, and now they're really not talking much anymore. And, and you're wondering, I'm thinking, well, what's going on? What's going on up in that noggin of theirs? You know, there's a lot going on up there. But they're not going to necessarily give you access to that. You can't approach it the same way anymore. You can't sit down and just look at them and say, now, what are you feeling today? You know, I mean, that, come on, Dad, are you, don't do this. Don't embarrass me. I don't want to talk about that. So you know what? We had to look, Annette and I had to look for different strategies to talk to our teenagers. And here's one of the strategies we found that really worked. It was tasks that lead to talking. So you just started doing something. You know, I would just find things to do. I made up things to do with them. I mean, I made it up. You know, I wanna, I'm trying to make, I went, well, we need milk, don't we? And that says, no. I said, yeah, we do. I'm taking, them, taking the boys to go get milk because we need to talk, and that's a task. And they'd get in the car. And what's great about being in the car is they can't go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, they're right there. They're locked into the car. And you just get to sit there. And sometimes it was quiet, silent. I'd ask them, hey, how did your day go? They might say, well, lunch was good. You know, mom made a good lunch. But then there might be this. Mom made a good lunch, and there would be a pause. And they would say, you know, I had a hard time at lunch. Because someone was bullying me or pushing me around. Doors fly wide open. 
I think there's something here for me to learn. There's something here maybe for you to learn. Just keep walking. Don't be discouraged. Just keep being obedient. Keep doing the tasks that you've been called to do and talk to God. And there's going to be times that will be awkward. There's going to be times you're, gonna, you're not going to even know what to say. But pay attention to that still, small voice because that is your lifeline. That is your breath. It's that still, small voice of God. Praying can feel like you haven't done it before, but you're stretching new muscles. Keep doing it because it leads to this wonderful dialogue that you have with God. Some of you might be discouraged right now where you are in your relationship with God. It just doesn't seem like you're hitting on all cylinders. Let me say this. Let me encourage you. Keep walking. Keep being obedient. Keep doing the next right thing. And I'll tell you what. There's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough on your horizon. God is up to good things. Listen to what it says in Romans 26 and 27. It says this. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Why does prayer work? Why does it work? There are three things here I think the Apostle Paul shows us as to the the need for prayer. Why does it work? How does it work? Number one, prayer is clarifying. We do not know. Listen, there are things you're facing right now you just don't know. You just don't have an answer. None of us are that smart. None of us are that wise. And that's why Paul says here, that's why we need to be connected to God's Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be praying because we just don't know. We don't have the answer. It says here, I love it, in, in verse 26, it says we do not know, but prayer moves us from confusion to concrete action. So when we continue to pray, what happens is things get clarified. And then the next steps are shown to us. And we can start to take those steps. And it may be just one step forward. But that opens up a whole new world for what God wants to do in your life. Because you took one step of clarity, God worked in marvelous ways. That's what prayer does. Prayer is clarifying. Second thing is, you see it here, prayer is healing. He who searches our hearts. Listen, I love the fact that there's a God who goes deep into our hearts and he searches our hearts. And when he does, it's healing. Prayer helps us express our deepest burden to our most powerful ally. Get you to a place where you can actually talk with God about the, the, the deep burdens of life. The things that you may not even have shared with anyone else. And that's a good place to go because God is our greatest ally. He's our our greatest leader. He brings us the greatest wisdom. He's someone we want to be with. And that's what prayer does. Prayer is healing. And then the the third thing here is prayer is connective. In accordance with the will of God. That's what it says in verse 27b. In accordance with the will of God. Prayer creates this intimacy uh, between us, God, and God's family. And prayer aligns us with the will and the purposes of God. That's what it does. It connects us with God. It connects us with God's family. That's the value we see here that Paul tells us in prayer. You, You know how I know prayer works? The reason I know prayer works is... When I lost my project, I prayed, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I, I decided this. 
And the reason I'm saying this then, you probably already know the answer to it, or I wouldn't be closing the message with it. But um, I didn't want to take a, I didn't want to take a C because I was really working on it. Uh, I didn't want to go through the whole class again. So for the next five days that that professor told me that I had to get that project done, I just worked night and day, worked night and day, even brought some of my friends in on it to help me because they remembered some of the things that I, that I couldn't remember. I got the syllabus. I read over it. I tried to do all that I could. And, you know, I thought, I'm going to get this done. And it was like, oh, maybe an hour or two before the project was supposed to be turned in, I completed it. I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know how good, I didn't know how good it was. I just knew I needed to do it. So I, I went to the professor and I turned in my project, um, you know, waited two weeks before I got my, you know, my grade. And, uh, and she gave me an A. Now, I wouldn't be telling you this story if she gave me a D. So I, just letting you know right there, I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even be talking about it right now. But, but you know, when I'm talking about it, that means I got an A. And uh, I got an A. And I wanted to know why. I mean, because so I went and I sat down. And I said it must have been because I really did a good job and I was really detailed and thorough and all that. And, and she said, no, 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 no. You weren't that good, you know. I said, well, how, why did I get an A? She says, well, everything you had done up to this class and the, the effort you put into this, you know, I, I really saw what you wanted. Uh, it, was, it was good work, but I, I gave you the A because of the path you took, you decided to get this thing done. You decided to go after it. You didn't settle. You were in it to win it. And I saw that. And, and that blessed me. And that encouraged me. And uh, she said there were parts of it that I, I really enjoyed, but there were other parts I, you know, wasn't that great. And I thought about this. I thought about how life kind of goes that way. Sometimes you just feel like you're on top of the world. Sometimes you just think you're making it, you're busting it. But then there are times you've experienced loss and suffering and disappointment that can lead to despair. And I think what God says to us today is just stay in it. Just stay in it. Just keep taking one step at a time. He's there. His promise is he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? And I can't tell you how much God cares about you and how much he really loves you. You have a future. You have a purpose. And I think that's the great, the great message of Romans chapter 8 is there is purpose. There's a destiny. I'm just going to ask the question, you know, with heads bowed, eyes closed. How, how many are, you know, facing kind of discouragement today? Maybe you're really facing that. There's something that's brought great discouragement. Good. Just, yeah. Yeah. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope. Father, I just want to pray for those that just made that confession just lifting their hand and saying, yeah, I've, I've experienced, I'm experiencing discouragement right now. That there would be just this infusion of, of joy. Uh, and that, Lord, you would give us that, that stick to to be patient, to walk through what we're walking through, and that you would, you would fill our hearts. And from that, Lord, there would be life, and there would be life abundantly. 
Lord, we just thank you for the instruction you've given us here today to, to see what it is to, to go through discouragement, which everyone does, but to know that there, there's hope in your word, to know that you've given us a, a, a map to follow in Romans chapter 8. It's incredible. It's amazing what you've called us to today, and we just thank you for that, that, that you give us a, a hope of a new future, that that we can experience the hope of belonging. And Lord, that we can talk to you. That, that we have access to you. Lord, let us um, be encouraged today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And we say together, amen and amen. Would you do this with me? Would you go ahead and stay? Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444. And anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.